Welcome to Beyond the Bedlam, episode 11. Today, we're talking about classroom success. Like any teacher, my teaching practices have changed and refined over the years. In recent years, my ideas of what classroom success is have really been refined, and I'm excited to bring you along on that journey today. Hi friend, this is Lauren McKenzie, and you're listening to Beyond the Bedlam, a podcast for teacher moms. If you're new here, I'm a teacher, wife, and mom of two who loves to help others make strategic and simple shifts so they can win at home and at school. If you're overwhelmed, have no time for yourself, and wish someone could help you get a game plan together, you're in the right place. So turn up the volume, straighten your teacher mom tiara, and get ready to win again. friends. I'm so glad that you're joining in today. Before we get started, I want to let you know that a new free resource is available for you. If you've ever wondered how in the world to get a chatterbox to zip it during class, this resource is just for you. If you'd like access to my top tips for helping quiet the chatter in your classroom, head over to beyondthebedlam.com chatterbox to sign up. All right, let's get to today's topic. I'll always remember that assignment in my very first overview of education class in college where I was told to write my quote philosophy of education. I was mortified. Now I love to write but narrowing it down to like just the most essential things oh my goodness that was hard. To be honest, there's a lot about my teaching philosophy that has stayed the same since the day I finished that very assignment, but there is so much that I've grown in since then, too, and one of those things is my definition of classroom success. The biggest change is the standard that I use to measure success. Back in 2005, when I first stepped into the classroom, I measure success by student achievement, student engagement, and the level of cooperation we achieved as a team in the classroom. I still believe that all of those things are very important, but these days I put a lot more emphasis on the measuring stick that I'm using to decide whether or not a class has been successful. There's so many standards that we can use to measure success in the classroom standardized tests, competitions inside and outside of the classroom, district regulations and assessments that we're required to give, student buy-in, level of parent support and involvement, our own success on teacher evaluations, um, student comments about our lessons or what they're learning, what society thinks a teacher should be, and the list goes on and on and on. So what standard are you using? I was using a combination of these to measure success for a long, long time, but this year marks my 15th year in the classroom, and I have to say that my standard of success has dramatically shifted. Are some of the things that I mentioned still important? Absolutely, but those things do not define my success or my student's success. So if those things are no longer my primary measure of success, then what is? classroom culture. Some of you may have just had a knee-jerk reaction to this, and you may think that all of the things that we have to measure success with, and I choose classroom culture, that I have lost my mind. But please hear me out. 
while assessments and other people's valuable assessments of my classroom are important, the single most important thing that I can do as a teacher is to create a warm and inviting classroom culture. So if classroom culture is the measuring stick by which I'm measuring success, how in the world is it that I go about creating that in my classroom? I've come up with three things that really have helped me to create a warm and nurturing environment for my students, and I want to share them with you today. Um, the first thing that I've done is to really simplify cut out the clutter. And I don't necessarily mean stuff, although cutting some of that can be a really good thing too, but that's a different topic for a different day. What I mean is there's a lot of people screaming at teachers right now about what we should and shouldn't be doing. And to be truthful, there's a lot of really good ideas out there. But let's be honest, for as many good ideas as there are out there, there are at least five or ten bad suggestions on the table, and that might be a generous number. So at some point as an educator, we have to do what we know to be the right thing for our students, and that means cutting the clutter of the noise that we're listening to. Now, what does this have to do with classroom culture? You might be wondering, I'm so glad that you brought this question up, um, a cluttered mind creates a chaotic environment that you're living and functioning in, and if you're feeling chaotic in your own head, then your students are going to feel it in your classroom. So choosing very selectively about who and what you listen to when it comes to what needs to happen in your classroom is really important. Do you need to honor your school or your district's requests? Yes, absolutely. But you do not have to do that and honor every pin that you come across on Pinterest too or every Instagram story that you flip through in the evenings um, when you're winding down. So simplify who you're listening to and what you value as important and your classroom culture will feel the warmth of the release of all the things that you're no longer trying to do because now you have the bandwidth to be the person that your students need you to be. Um, the second thing that I do um, to help create a warm and nurturing classroom environment is to notice every single thing that's good that I possibly can. Now, this is easier said than done because we are busy as teachers. Someone is always asking for our attention. If student one doesn't need help with math, student two needs help with phonics, and student three needs help with a friendship problem, and student four has 15 different accommodations, and oh my goodness, we only remembered 12 of them today. And then what about our own kids? Once we no longer have a class that's asking for help, when we get home, our own kids want it, and they need it and deserve it. All of these people that I just mentioned in these examples are important. So what gives? How in the world do we find the time to notice what is good? A few years ago, I was in a really hard place in my teaching career. And to be honest, I was over it. And I really just wanted out. Um, I didn't like anything about it anymore. I was professionally bored. Um, our children were both very young. And they were in extremely difficult phases of parenting with them. So every afternoon when my husband came home from work, I was ready with a full laundry list of complaints about my day. Uh, one child threw a tantrum, another wet their pants at school, and now I've got to do laundry and it wasn't supposed to be laundry day. 
my admin had come up with some silly idea and initiative and I thought it wasn't the best approach. And then there was a student who acted crazy at school and dinner wasn't going to be ready on time and so on and so forth. I had all of these things to just word vomit on my husband. Now, um, what you should know is my husband is the kindest of kind people and he gets paid to listen for a living. Um, in case this is your first episode, my husband is a licensed professional counselor and he deals with lots of cases of trauma, attachment issues, and anxiety. So he's used to listen, listening to people complain for a living. But this one particular day, I'll never forget, Rhett looked at me and said, is there anything going right for you? I like hearing about what's important to you, but listening to you complain as soon as I walk in the door from listening to eight hours of complaining is really hard for me. Can you name something good that happened today? Ouch, that one hurt. But he was right, guys. I was so wrapped up in all the things that were going wrong that I had no idea what was going right. And that day um, triggered a ritual of sorts for me. Um, starting the next day on my way home from work, I would try and come up with at least one good thing that happened during the day. Kind of like a win of sorts. And I started sharing those things with Rhett when he got home. And some days it was really hard to come up with a win. But I looked for one good thing that I could tell him. Um and picked only the very most important of the bad things if I was going to share those. But that event and those subsequent days of training myself to look for one good thing started me on a path of looking for the good even when things seemed really bad and helped me through a really hard season. But here's the best part. Looking for good made me think through my day at school, and it helped me to start acknowledging the good with my students during school. So when I saw it, I'd bring it up right away. And noticing the things that were going right took the focus off of the things that needed fixing. The most amazing thing started happening. There were fewer things that I felt like I needed to fix. Now, did all of my classroom management problems start fixing themselves? Well, no. Um, did I still need to correct kids? Yes. But because the kids started seeing me as a person who was going to focus on what was good, they trusted me to correct them when the correction was needed. So everyone started winning when I started looking for the good. Um, I was more pleasant. My husband started winning because I was no longer chirping all the negative to him. My children started winning because mom was happier, um, thinking about, hey, these are the good things that are going on. And my students um, were winning because I wasn't harping on them all the time. I was celebrating with them. So what does it look like for you? Maybe it's keeping a gratitude journal. Um, maybe it's snapping a picture of what you noticed was good throughout the day. Maybe thinking really hard about what you could name on your way home from work. Uh, maybe it's noticing a beautiful sunrise on your way into work. It'll be different for each person. But whatever that is for you, start noticing it. It's important and it can very well be the culprit that changes your classroom culture too. Um. The third thing that I did and I still do 
to help create a warm and nurturing classroom um, environment for my, me and my students is that I decided to give up being perfect. Now, I'm not sure why we as teachers are all trying to have the perfect classroom, the perfect lesson, the perfect management system, be the perfect parent, and on and on and on. But here we are. We're all doing it. So friends, although the expectations that are being placed on teachers nowadays are huge and sometimes not achievable, the expectations that you place on yourself do not have to be. I'm here today to give you permission to do what a favorite movie character encourages you to do and say, let it go. Your enslavement to perfectionism is not serving you, your students, your family, or anyone else who is important to you. In a hundred years, no one will talk about your legacy of perfect bulletin boards or the super cute fonts you use to create activities for your students. They're not going to care about your Google presentation, your perfectly themed room transformations, or the amazing lessons that you planned that achieved 100% engagement. People are going to talk about how you love students well, how you took the extra time to form relationships with not only the kids, but their families, and how you spent your time loving and serving well. So please release yourself from the responsibility of being perfect. Do your best and trust that the Lord will take your best efforts and communicate with these kids how much you love them and how much he loves them because of the way that you've invested in their lives. So friends, what measuring stick are you using to define success in your classroom? Is it one that even matters? I challenge you to take some time today to evaluate if you're using the right tool to measure success. If you're not, have the courage to pivot even in the middle of the school year. It's not too late. I'll be right here cheering you along. And if you'd like to connect for a little encouragement, I'd love for you to send me a DM on Instagram. I'm at Beyond the Bedlam and would love to hear from you, teacher friend. Before I let you go today, don't forget about the free resource I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast. There's hope for classrooms full of chatterboxes, and I'm sharing my top tips for cutting the chatter on my website. Visit beyondthebedlam.com slash chatterbox to get access to the resource. Talk with you soon. Friends, I'm so glad that you've joined us today. I can't wait to visit with you again. And until then, I'm in your corner cheering you on. If you've enjoyed today's show, remember to subscribe to the podcast before you close your app so you won't miss future tips, tricks, and triumphs to share along the way. And I'd be honored for you to share with a teacher mom friend who might be encouraged by listening along to you. Talk with you soon. This is a test to see what the mic sounds like. <laughs>